So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus and what does Jesus have to do with our lives? That may seem like a crazy question to ask at the beginning of a sermon. You know, you all got up and got dressed and came down to sit in the sacred sanctuary. You know a little bit about Jesus. Or we organized our day to turn on our screens and tune in to our live streaming service. We know a little bit about Jesus. We're curious enough or we have certain stake in the Jesus game and we want to be growing and serving as Jesus people. So here we are. Why do I start with that question? Jesus is an amazing person, a great teacher. Jesus is, as we say, God in the flesh. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the way we want to live our lives, you know, following Jesus in the way that John tells us, the way and the truth. We follow that. Jesus is the best example. Jesus is the greatest spirit person to ever walk the earth. Jesus is the one who knows us, walks with us on the dusty roads of life, understands our troubles. Jesus is the one who loves us, even when we don't love ourselves. Jesus is the one who helps us get through every single challenge. Jesus is the one who promises us that nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. This is some of what we affirm about Jesus. But who is Jesus really? And what does he have to do with our lives, especially in these particular days? Because life feels a little heavy. We continue with these COVID challenges. They're so frustrating and so exhausting. We have racism and all of its complexities creating great change and challenge for us still. And racism keeps haunting our common life as Second Presbyterian Church. Climate change and environmental issues seem so daunting. We have culture wars and protests that are potentially violent and polarization perplexing us. And then, as if it's not enough, we all carry heartaches and worries about our loved ones, about our own lives, about uncertainties, about losses. And those things can take center stage in our life. So who is Jesus? And what does Jesus really mean for our lives? We have today a little passage from Mark chapter 9. I want to read it. You can read along. It's in the bulletin. Here's what it says. They went on from there and they passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know it. For he was teaching his disciples and he was saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they didn't understand what he was saying. And they were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? They were silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down. He called the twelve. And he said to them, Whoever wants to be first among us, 
must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a little child and put it among them. And taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This whole little passage is about who is Jesus and what does Jesus mean for our lives, even in these days. I received a picture this week from one of you in a text, a picture of Jesus. Jesus was sitting under a big tree and holding a child on his lap, and he was surrounded by lots of other people, and all the other people were in very colorful costumes with very different colors to their complexion. Lots of different people around Jesus holding this child. And this was the caption. So there I was, the only white guy in Jerusalem. So this cartoon is obviously picking up on the increasing conversations about who is Jesus. And he's too often been depicted as a white guy with flowing blonde or brown hair, blue eyes, and other European features when we all know that Jesus did not look like many of us look. He likely had much darker skin and many more characteristics of his Palestinian land and culture. Who is Jesus? Who is he? And what does he really mean for us? Well, by the time we get to Mark chapter 9, the disciples of Jesus had been learning a whole lot about Jesus and who he was and what he meant for their lives. He appeared on the scene, and the first thing he said was, the kingdom of God is at hand. And in his teaching and in everything he said, he was pointing to the kingdom of God. He was baptized in the River Jordan by John. He called disciples. He healed a paralyzed man told him to get off his mat and walk. He healed a uh, man with an unclean spirit. He took on the religious authorities. He shared many parables. He fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and fishes. He walked on water. He gave sight to the blind. He even went up to the mountain with some of his disciples and had this mystical transfiguration experience. All this is happening before we get to Mark 9. And then in this passage, and for the second time, Jesus tells his disciples that he must suffer at the hands of others and be killed, die a cruel death, and then be raised from the dead. So often in these nine chapters, Jesus has been speaking to the fears of the people. We all have fears. We do. They're real. Fears about ourselves. Fears about our loved ones. Fears about problems getting too big and too complicated that we're going to be paralyzed and forever perplexed. And over and over again, Jesus speaks to the fears of his disciples and us, urging faith and fortitude, urging courage and commitments. Life is full of challenges. Life is full of uncertainties. But God is always present, and God is always work, and God's ways are always certain. In today's passage, this fear makes a quick appearance. The passage says, The Son of Man is to be betrayed 
into human hands and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. And the next verse says, but they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid, afraid to ask him. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying and they were afraid because their strong sense of a Messiah had to do with conquering and prevailing with power. A Messiah for Peter and his pals was someone who was going to deliver the long-suffering people of God with a commanding victory, vanquishing all the enemies and coming out on top. That's the image of a Messiah that they're expecting. Jesus, they think, is the Messiah. They're following him, listening to him, devoting their lives to him. That's what they're expecting. But that's not what they heard from Jesus. He was talking about suffering and dying, a new way God was choosing to redeem the world. Jesus points to descending into greatness, not conquering Not prevailing with power, but changing the world through sacrifice and service. Then he came to Capernaum. Capernaum is in the region of Galilee. Capernaum is a town where Jesus spent a lot of his adult life. They all go into a house. And Jesus brings up again the question of greatness. He knows the disciples. He knows what they're thinking about. He knows what they're talking about. He knows us. He knows what we're thinking about and what we're talking about, what we worry about and what we debate. How do we become great? How do we create more influence? How do we get more people to like us? How do we become more wealthy and famous and secure? How do we have a more meaningful life? Be great. So Jesus asks, What were you arguing about on the way? But, it says, they were silent. For on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Remember the initial questions? Who is Jesus? What does Jesus have to do with our lives? This is at the heart of what's going on. Imagine that Jesus listens to all of our conversations. Imagine that Jesus knows our real hopes and desires and longings from our hearts. I take great comfort in knowing that Jesus knows me, knows my heart, puts up with me, and keeps encouraging me toward life and light and wholeness. Jesus knows us, what we're worried about, what we're beaten down by. And keeps encouraging us of how to live, love, and serve. And then it says, Jesus sat down, called the disciples together, and he said, whoever wants to be first must be the last of all and the servant of all. We've been listening to Jesus a lot. We've heard this before. Here it is. Plain as day. Whoever wants to be first must be last, servant of all. Descending into greatness. Greatness for Jesus and for us is never about power. It's never about prevailing. Never about dominating and doting over others. Never about asserting ourselves and our way. 
Greatness is about serving and sacrificing and caring and sharing. He took a child and said, whoever welcomes one such child as this welcomes me. And not just me, but the one who sent me. Let's be clear. The child in this story is not to show us how Jesus loved little children, though he did. It's not a message about glorifying children. It is absolutely a message about sacrificing and serving and caring and sharing. It's an illustration of his previous point. Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. We assume assume so often that greatness is about climbing and doing and asserting. Greatness is something we achieve by proving and winning and gaining. Jesus shows us another way. And he keeps showing it to us in his very life and in all of his teachings and especially vividly right in this passage. The descending way brings greatness. Sacrificing, serving, giving, sharing, losing life to find it. Two little insights might help understand and reiterate this point of descending greatness. First, children in Jesus' culture were among the lowest. Children were regarded in the day as non-persons. They were possessions of the father of the household. They were not yet fully persons. They were not meant to be heard from. They were not meant to be seen. So it's a countercultural message. Jesus brings a child into the center when he's teaching his disciples, brings him right into that space to make a point. The greatest are not those with power and prestige, but those who serve others, those who welcome children, those who tend to the needy, those who pay attention to the destitute and the forgotten. The greatest are not those in places of power and privilege, but those who see and love and who are on the margins, who are left out, oppressed. We tend to them as Jesus' people, the abused, the forgotten. Second, the word that Jesus used here, the Greek word in this passage for servant, is diakonos. It's the word that gives us the word deacon, which means to serve. But in Mark's day and in Jesus' time, diakonos, that word, was reserved for the lowest of the servants. Those who served meals, those who did the messiest jobs, those who picked up the trash, those who would never be thought of as people to emulate. Jesus shows this is who he is. And Jesus says this is who we're called to be about. Disciples, sharing, serving, sacrifice, doing more for others than ourselves. And the Greek word then for child, padion, which is also another word for servant. Servant, diakon, and padion, the word for child, often mean the same thing. Be the lowly and welcome the lowly. Be the lowly and welcome the lowly and you welcome me. And not just me, but the one who sent me. This is Jesus' well-illustrated point in this passage. So, we are great, not when we have power and influence, but when we descend toward loving service. We are great, not when we have money and degrees and prestige and fine clothes and professional success. We are great when we love and when we care, especially for the least. 
And we work for the justice and the joy of God's promise reign. We're a great church, not because we have a beautiful building or strong finances, but how we use that to care in the world for the lowly and the needy, the forgotten and the oppressed. This little passage is all about who is Jesus and what does Jesus mean for our lives. It's so clear. It is as if Jesus says, you've heard it was said, conquer and be great. I say to you, God will redeem the whole world, not with a mighty arm, but through a suffering servant and suffering servants, disciples. You've heard it said, be dominant and get what's yours. Lots of people tell us that. But I say to you, says Jesus, live your life in gentleness and love, not as a master, but as a servant of all. Mark 9. You've heard it said, consort with the powerful and gain power. I say to you, welcome the powerless, the outsider, the ones who supposedly have such low status to offer us no promise of conventional gain in return. Take this child, a symbol of the lowly, whoever welcomes this one welcomes me and the one who sent me. We're so often taught that life is about ascending the ladder to greatness, to worldly success. Jesus counters all of that. Life is about graceful descent into loving, with compassion, the outcast, the forgotten. That's the way to greatness. If you're looking for a little bit of fresh inspiration and enrichment in this same message, I encourage you to tune in to the Apple series, Ted Lasso. This is a story about an American football coach, Ted Lasso, from some Midwest town who is hired in a crazy move to go to London and coach in the Premier League of European soccer. Lasso's way to coach soccer in the Premier League, which he knows very little about, is all about descending into greatness. Rarely do we see gospel values dominating a series on TV. You'll find it in Ted Lasso. Life and greatness are not about power, but personal care and connections. Life is often not mostly about prowess, but understanding people. Life is often not mostly gained through aggression and greed and manipulation of others, but through confession and caring and character. These themes are so present in this show, which is also full of seriousness and humor, complex characters, and descending into greatness. That's what made Jesus great, the greatest person ever. That's our way toward greatness, descending into greatness, loving and serving with commitment and care. I love the way Howard Thurman, the great spiritual writer, put it. Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive. Because the, what the world needs is people who are alive. 
And from my experience, the people who are most alive are those who have figured out that life is not about getting, but about giving. Not about hoarding, but about helping others. Not about self, but service. Those people are most alive. Alive because they've learned about not ascending greatness, but descending greatness. This is who Jesus is. This is what it's about to follow Jesus. Descending into greatness. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief and move us deeper and deeper toward gratefulness by loving and serving, sacrifice, sacrificing and giving today, tomorrow, forever as we seek to follow Christ our Lord. Amen.